0: dad. We point up to the sky and show others God's love by not yelling at your brother or sister or not throwing a grump when your mom tells you to go clean your room, which is really a draggy thing to have to do. But it's not throwing a grump. That's how you show. So it also taught, the song also says we could hide under a bushel. How would we hide it under a bushel? We hide our light when we say no to our mom and dad. Or we say, I don't want to. That's hiding our light under a bushel. So for us adults, sometimes that's the same thing sometimes we, when there's things that we need to do, sometimes we hide our light under the bushel too, don't we? Nah, not anyone here. <laughs> so all of us young and older kids can let our light shine. All right, you guys ready? Now this is acapella, so sing loudly, so you only have to bear with my voice so much. Okay, you ready? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. Let me see those lights. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine, hide it under a bushel, no. I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No! I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Don't let Satan put it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Don't let Satan put it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Don't let Satan put it out. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. So let's see if we can all let God's love shine through us this week. And our verse talks about a perfect way to let our um, light shine. Let's everyone say our verse very loudly. We should be quite familiar with it. So, um, boys and girls, this is a great time for you to use your loud voices. All right, ready? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So, Gens 4, 32. So why should we be kind and compassionate and forgiving? Is it because we're good people? No, it's because God, in Christ, God forgave us, so we should be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. All right, and one more song, and then we will turn it over. Okay, you ready? We're going to sing Deep and Wide. So this one, we need, we need, everybody stand up, okay? So this will wake us up so that we're not sleeping through the sermon, which is always not a great thing to do. All right, deep and wide, deep and wide there's a fountain flowing deep and wide deep and wide deep and wide there's a fountain flowing deep and wide mm, and wide mm, and wide there's a fountain flowing mm, and wide mm, and wide Hmm, and why there's a fountain flowing hmm and why hmm and hmm hm and hmm there's a fountain flowing hmm and hmm hm and hm hmm, hmm. hmm and hmm there's a fountain flowing hm and hmm deep and wide. Deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide, deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. All right, well, the fountain is going to flow deep and wide as Mr. John Toner comes and shares God's word with us. Can you guys give a welcome? Welcome.
1: Good morning. If I wasn't wearing a mask, might have been here a little faster. Then again, I realized serendipitously this morning, one of the main reasons to uh, volunteer to teach on a Sunday is I get to take my mask off. Um, so, our passage this morning is out of Ephesians chapter 4. It's kind of interesting. One of my computer uh, passwords is EPH 415, which is uh, speaking the truth in love which is something I am constantly working on. But in any event, that's not our passage today. So this message is called, um, Are You Renewed? Let's ask God to renew us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being with me in that Arkansas Valley on July the 12th, 1977, when I prayed the sinner's prayer and it stuck. I thank you that our salvation is only by your grace. And I pray that you would, you would touch us. Help me to get out of the way as much as I can so that your word would impact every heart, mine especially. I ask that in Jesus' name, amen. First, I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to take a look. So, are you renewed? I stole it from a guy named J.D. Norcross. He would never ask, uh, what's your verse? What you've been reading in the word? He'd just ask, are you renewed? but you did not learn Christ in this way if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus that in reference to your former manner of life you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created which is which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth, Ephesians chapter four, verses seventeen to twenty-four. So, um, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That is the one phrase that we're going to focus on this morning. In fact, we're going to focus on kind of a very specific application. Um, appreciate uh, the uh, the thought earlier. Um, you know, don't fall asleep during the sermon. Um, I don't know if, what the risk is of that with John Toner. You're probably more at risk of like misdemeanor heresy just to keep you on your toes. But I don't think you'll fall asleep. Um, so we're going to look at be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's a weird phrase. I, I listened to a bunch of sermons. I read a bunch of sermons. Uh, this one actually is primarily uh, stolen. I mean, uh, borrow, I mean um, yeah, borrowed from uh, John Piper. But... Um, Three points we're going to look at about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. This phrase, the spirit of your mind, it's the only place it occurs in the entire Bible is right here. And different guys get different handles on exactly what it means. But it, in essence, it means your, the heart of your mind or the deepest, deepest part of your mind and your heart, that deep, deep down part of you that drives everything that you do. So three things we're going to look at. Number one, what is wrong with the human mind? I mean, why does it even need to be renewed anyway? Number two, looking at the gospel saves you and changes you, but your mind is often the last one to find out. And three, how can the gospel also renew the spirit of your mind? What's wrong with the human mind? The gospel changes you, but your mind doesn't always hear or is the last to learn. And then how the gospel also can renew the spirit of your mind. So, number one, what is wrong with the human mind? We got an election coming up. I don't know if you heard. It's kind of, it's serendipitous. It's We're talking about having a right mindset three days before half of the country is going to be challenged to have a right mindset. So, um, so what's the secular answer? By the way, when we get to slide 16, if you don't understand, some of these slides are like, you're going to say, well, is this really the Bible or what's he talking about? Slide 16, don't skewer me until we get there. If you don't like that, then skewer me all you want. But um, what is the secular response to the problem with the human mind? Because even, even um, secular people understand there's something wrong with mankind. I mean, why are we capable of such incredible evil? There's no other animal on the planet that does evil on purpose for fun. So, what is wrong with the human mind? The secular answer is education or reprogramming. If there's something wrong with our minds, it's a lack of education. It's a lack of understanding. If we just are taught the right things, then we'll do the right things. So, when people do the wrong thing, we didn't teach them. They they didn't know. Or they had bad programming. So, we're going to redo their programming. That's that's kind of the, uh, the secular mindset. And uh, in terms of like the inner mind, the, the spirit of our mind, um, there are phrases that are used. They'll say, well, everybody has an inner critic. I mean, I know something about every one of you in this room as well as on Zoom. I don't know where Zoom is, but anyway. You don't think you're good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not thin enough. You're not successful enough. Everybody is deeply, deeply insecure. Everybody, and the secular people understand it. And so they say, well, you got an inner critic. Um, or Amy Cuddy came up with this phrase, the imposter syndrome. She had a best-selling book and a big TED talk, and she said, even when people are successful, they have this sense that they're an imposter. If people really understood what a loser they would, they were. They would take away their diplomas, take away their success coaching class I took this last year called it Gremlins, but it's just a message that everybody hears, you're just not good enough at a deep deep level and so if you want to see what that looks like this is a chart that I will, the iceberg chart is something that I see in um, over and over again you may have seen this, but it talks about our conscious mind and our non-conscious mind left brain, right brain, I'll get to the Bible, trust me so, above the surface, our conscious mind, that's the analytical, that's the part that makes decisions, our, our logical reasoning. And then, our non-conscious, our subconscious, below the surface. It's, uh, it's where our emotions reside. Um, and actually, it's really where all of our decisions are really made, because our, our decisions are made on an emotional basis, and we come up with a logical reason to justify them. But even below that level are our core beliefs. Who am I? What makes me valuable? What gives me value? What's going to make me happy? That is the spirit of your mind. That is the part that needs to be renewed. Now, the secular, let's look at the next slide. The secular solution is basically this. Here's this person. Well, I'm not good enough. You know, I'm... I'm, not cute enough, I'm not funny enough, whatever it is. And um, so that's that's the, the deep, deep core driver. It's almost like a proverb says uh, that the thoughts of a man is harder like deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. This is the stuff that's deep down in there that drives everything. And um, so, so if you don't feel like you're good enough, then on an emotional level, well, you want to be good enough. You want to be loved and approved. And so... I know I'll join Jenny Craig and and cut 30 pounds and then people will love me and then I'll feel good enough and you can repeat that cycle over and over again my car isn't as cool as the next door neighbors or my driveway kind of weird thing we got a new asphalt driveway and same day two other neighbors same thing so not that that has anything to do with anything but, but but uh you know I'm, I want to you know it, it's I want to be approved, I want to feel good about myself, and so whatever that 's going to be, I need to sell more houses, I need to make more money, I need to um, get an article published, um, whatever it is, and th- we think that those things will satisfy us, but it 's just never quite enough to really meet that deep inner need that says i 'm not good enough, and it always surprises me. Um, in this coaching class especially, it just surprised me because we kept talking about this. And I'm wondering, so why is it, do you think, that all human beings are so deeply insecure? You think like a, a bear is insecure? You know, dog? Yeah, maybe a dog. But, um, you know, why is it that everybody's so deeply insecure? Because to me, the answer is real clear. It's in the scripture. Um, we, we don't feel good enough because we're not good enough. That's why. Um, God's word on this: uh, uh, Why are why? Do, uh, what's wrong with our minds? God's word says it simply: We are fallen, and when we know that we're fallen, we. It doesn't mean just that our will is fallen; our decision-making faculty is fallen. Everything about us is fallen. Our flesh is fallen. That's why we die. Right? We know that our physical bodies are fallen. Death wasn't here until. Adam and Eve committed cosmic treason against the king of the universe and passed their sinful DNA onto us. And so we're fallen. That is the problem with our minds. Scripture says that since they did not see fit, actually, let me, before I look at these, well, let's, let's look at them first. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. says in Romans 1.28, or a depraved mind. It also says in Romans that we exchange the glory of the immortal God for an image resembling mortal man. And Peter says, prepare your minds for action. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Their minds were getting in trouble because they were ignorant of God's truth. And so let me ask you, so are these verses only true of the minds of the people outside this building, the lost. The lost have fallen minds. Yeah, they they don't think straight. But once we get saved, my head's good. Everything God says, I totally believe. Or do these verses describe the natural state of your mind and mine as well? That our minds are bent towards self-centeredness, not God-centeredness. And our minds are bent towards choosing the wrong thing rather than choosing the right thing. And that the reason why our minds, our minds, the spirit of our mind, the deepest, deepest part of our mind, needs to be renewed, needs to be changed, is because even once we are believers, we're still stuck in in, um, old patterns. This uh, next chart, we're going to see this iceberg like about a dozen times a day. But, uh, so here's what the Bible says. We are lost sinners. We are enemies of God without hope in the world. We have darkened minds and hardened hearts. That's the good news. Actually, that's the bad news. But, uh, yeah, lost sinners. I mean, I don't understand if if psychologists and if coaches and if, you know, policymakers, if they all understand that we have this inner voice that says you're not good enough maybe it's because we're really not good enough right maybe that's why we have that voice and that's what's telling us that we uh, it's cut, we've been cut off from our maker we've been cut off from the, what was supposed to be the source of our joy the source of our value and so as a consequence guilt and shame make us hide like Adam and Eve they hid from each other from God, and even from themselves, making excuses. And so guilt and shame make us hide, and so we cannot receive the love and approval that we so long for because we dare not risk letting anybody know what we're really like. So we seek approval, we seek acceptance, we seek to feel good enough about ourselves, money, sex, success, by whatever means, or even religion and morality, which is something that believers tend to get tempted with, that am I a better Christian than that guy? Am I walking in victory right now? Am I more moral than the unbelievers? We're, we're grasping at straws to find ways to prove that we are good enough. We, we want to prove. We want to earn the value that's been lost because of our sin and our separation. The natural state of our minds and our lives before we're saved, and you can go to the next slide, is this. In, in the, uh, passions, the passage in Ephesians 4 we started with, talks about we, you know, we're born with futility of mind, darkened in our understanding, hardness of heart, and our heart is full of the lusts of deceit or deceitful desires. We have desires in our minds to tell us this will make you happy and it's deceitful. You know, yes, is the devil alive and well? Yes, does he tempt people? Yes, and our own flesh can do a really pretty good job just on its own. Point two, the gospel saves you and changes you. That's good. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you probably could be saved. You, uh, you'll be 90% saved and then the rest is up to you. Nope, says you will be saved, 100%, 100.0%. The next slide shows my favorite picture of all time. I've used this, I don't know if you noticed, it's probably at least one out of three times I speak. And it's the exact same, I mean, I, this is what happens, this is a transaction that takes place when you and I trust Jesus as our lord and savior when we repent and ask him to forgive us of our sins there's two aspects and i've been a believer for about 43 or so years and for the first 30 years i bet i only understood the red arrow the red arrow at the bottom it says the transaction takes place when we you know confess with our mouth that jesus is lord and believe in our hearts that god raised him from the dead you will be saved and i what that means is we take our guilt and our shame our spiritual felonies, and we put them on Jesus, and he paid the price for our sins, died and was buried, and then rose again from the dead to prove that the debt was paid. And that's what I thought it meant to be a Christian. The top half, the green arrow, is also true and is very important. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. You're welcome. <laughs> Absolutely. His righteousness is imputed to us. Before salvation, our hearts are a works machine. We are trying to get approval. We are trying to justify ourselves because we just don't feel good enough. Because we're not. But we'll never have a good enough record. We want to present God with a good record so that on balance our good deeds outweigh our bad. And that's just not how God works. And we know it, and we never feel like our record is enough. Jesus imputes His perfect record to us purely by grace, and that's what happens when we get saved, and that is fantastic. That is wonderful. That is, by definition, the good news, and yet here's the thing. Your mind is often the last to understand what has happened, so what we're going to see is this. We got the two we have, um, this is Romans ten nine, Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's with your conscious mind and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead with your emotional heart and you will be saved. So we do that and we're saved. We really are saved. That is 100.0%. It's done. It's finished. It's a one-time event. It is not gradual. It's not a little bit at a time. You don't have it at one point and not have it at another point. It's 100.0% by grace, you're saved. Amen, I agree. That's awesome. Let's just quit right there. I was so good, right? But um, no, slide 16, slide, trust me, slide 16, that's the one. Um, but here's the problem. Your mind remains stuck in old patterns. Even though you are saved, positionally you're saved. God, God views you in the robe, in Jesus' robe. He views you as if you have Christ's character. When when, when uh, Jesus is baptized and a voice comes out of heaven and says, You are my beloved child. In you I am well pleased. That's God's viewpoint of all of his children in Christ Jesus. But does it feel like that to you? It usually doesn't to me. So it's true but we don't have that sense because our minds are still stuck on old patterns. And so what happens is, as Christians, we go ahead, we, we focus on God's Word and prayer, which are in fellowship and evangelism, which are great things to focus on. And they are necessary and essential for spiritual growth. However, we still see these old desires and fears and old habits and thinking. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that in this room, but I sure have. You know, we, we, we see his word, we read it, and there's part of us that wants to obey it, but there's part of us that doesn't. We still have these deceitful, sinful desires that tell us, if you do this instead of what God says, it'll work out better for you. If our minds, if your mind really believed that God will take care of all your needs in Christ Jesus, you'd never worry about money. If I believed that, um, yeah, if, if I believed that he will never leave me or forsake me, if I believe that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for God is with me, if that was my mindset, I'd never be afraid of anything. And that's just not the reality that we see. And the reason is, is because we have a failure to believe the gospel at a deep level. And when we fail to believe the gospel at a deep level, We are giving control to shame and old patterns of thinking. So we want to not just understand the gospel with our mind, the surface, the intellect, or even on an emotional level. We want the gospel to be able to speak to the deepest part of us that tells you who you are, that tells you what makes you valuable, that tells you what will really make you happy. That's where we really want to receive the gospel how does the gospel renew the spirit of our minds the holy spirit has two actions and it has to be god doing this in us it's interesting the 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 verb for be renewed when it says put off the old man and put on the new uh and i think i'm right i got a bible scholar in the room that could correct me afterwards perhaps i think i'm right that when when the verb tense for putting off the old man and putting on the new, it's it's a tense where it's already happened, past tense, one time for all, and it has ongoing effect. The be renewed is, I think it's what they call present perfect, but it's an ongoing thing. Our salvation is once for all, 100%, done. However, this renewing of the spirit of your mind is an ongoing thing. And it is a gradual thing. And although you don't go backwards once you're saved, you don't be saved and then not saved and then saved a little bit more and then saved again. And No. However, with the renewing of our mind, it is a process that goes on. I think if we live to be a thousand and you're 910, it's like there's so many things that your mind would still need to be renewed on. But God's, God, the Holy Spirit uses two things, the outside in, which is the word of God, and inside out, breaking up our hardened hearts. If it's just the Word of God alone, well, I have a hard time saying this because I think the Bible is a magic book. I think uh, I say that the Bible is the fourth person of the Trinity. And I think it's so powerful that you could read it with a dark, unbelieving, twisted heart, and it'll start to work its magic on you. That's how I believe it. Still, for deep transformation, just looking at the Word, memorizing the Word. I mean, how, have, has any, who has ever read the Bible, maybe daily, for weeks on end at a time, and it doesn't seem to make any difference? Does that ever happen? Apparently not. It happens with me, you know, or it has, you know. But, um, and, uh, so, so, but also, the Holy Spirit has to break up our hardened heart. And heart. If it was just the Word, our heart wouldn't receive it. It was just the Holy Spirit you know, bruising our heart without the words hope, you know, we'd be crushed. So those two actions take place. Um, And then one key area that the Holy Spirit needs to work on right here is um, a crucial area is for us to believe at the deepest level that you are loved as a sinner. You are loved as a sinner. Perhaps I'm the only person that this message speaks to maybe I'm the only one that has had a struggle with this and still does at times, that it, it my mindset has been, perhaps this is your experience, when I was lost, I knew I was lost. I was totally lost. I was very lost. Lost. And when I prayed the sinner's prayer, I so badly wanted to have a new life. And just so bad, I was 19 in an Arkansas Valley, stoned out of my mind. You're not supposed to pray prayers like that, but if I thought, well, it'll never happen. I'm always stoned, so, I mean, there's no excuse, right? Anyway, and God sobered me up in in an instant, and I just felt so, it was just, I was so high. I was so excited. I was so elated to come back to town and tell all my friends who left me. Um, But, uh, and then I find that my life doesn't conform to God's word, that I'm sad because I thought if I got saved, then everything would be different. And then I look around at the other people in the church. This was in Kansas City, so it's none of y'all. And, well, they have all their lives together. They don't have any junk in the trunk on the inside. And so I want to be a good boy. we a good old boy, you know, good little girl Christian. And we cease to believe that we're loved as Christians, even as we're sinners. At least I have. And I believe that that is one area for sure. There are other things as well. If you, there are all kinds of things. Our mind has, you know, we have different patterns. We have the pull of sin. I mean, sin is fun. I don't, I mean, don't let that get out. But I mean, it is. Sin is pleasurable. It says it in the scripture. If it wasn't, there was no pleasure to sin, we wouldn't do it. Right? It's alluring. So there's that. And if you have addictions or patterns or all kinds of different things. If your mother told you you're a total loser, your parents have been, I mean, you may have additional issues to deal with to have your mind renewed. But this is one thing that I believe every single believer needs renewal on. And so here is slide 16. This in my mind is what God wants you and I to do on a regular basis, to come to Him and, and come to Him as a sinner in need of a Savior every day. To have the conviction, to have the deepest part of your heart believe, I am loved as an imperfect moral failure. I am loved as a sinner. I need, and thank God I have, a perfect Savior in my heart of hearts. And that's where my value comes from. Not from performance, but because God loves me because he chooses to love me. What does it say that um, God demonstrates his love for us? For while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved me when I was not lovable. He did not love you because you're lovable, and he also did not love you because he saw you had great potential. He loved you because you were an absolute train wreck. And he just wanted to love you and he chose to love you and to change you because he loves you and 43 and a half years later after following jesus that's still got to be my number one plea day after day after day so i am loved as a sinner i need and have a perfect savior and when that happens then two other things you you go up Add the more and this is, this is a gradual thing. It's over time. I think it'll never be done until we die or Christ returns. Um, but the more we do this, the more our fears and our desires are changed. The more we have hope, the more the fruit of the Spirit shows up in our life. And in this time, it's actually the fruit of the Spirit. It's not me trying to be patient and kind and gentle so I can be more spiritual it's my heart is being changed because God loves me as, a, as the moral failure that I am. You know, it's funny when we pursue being a, a righteous, good guy. You know, I'm going to have all these Christian accolades. We become more of that person in reality the more we receive his love because we're needy, needy people. And God's word, prayer, fellowship, evangelism, all great still, but they have much more power when we appropriate this concept that we are loved as a sinner so we got two more slides and then we'll be done so I have a question I'm going to ask three times before we get the answer so there's this real famous uh, uh, phrase in Christianity love the sinner but yeah love the sinner but yeah that's what I heard too love the sinner but hate the sin so we put that slide in there so let me ask you why is it important to love the sinner this is actually a good question. Why is it important that we love the sinner? God does. That's a great answer. Anybody want to add to that? Because we're sinners too. So do you think sinners deep down know they're sinners? I'll give you that one, SES. So if you have sin and guilt and shame, is that going to make you open to receive help? If you hate the sin, if you and I hate the sin, and we're just neutral to the sinner, they're going to be defensive. They're not going to be open. They're not going to be vulnerable. They're not going to be open to grace and love and change because they need to protect themselves. Does that make sense? Who is the most difficult sinner on the planet earth for you to love? Thank you. This, you're not supposed to ask a question that has a definite right answer, but this is the exception that proves the rule. Yes, yourself. I've asked that question to dozens of people. Every now and then somebody said my boss, oh, my spouse, not my spouse. She didn't say that, but um, uh, out loud. But um, no, it's yourself. So why is it important for you to be able to love yourself as a sinner? so you can love others. My thinking is this. If it's important to love the sinner so that they will not put, be defensive, but they'll let down their guard and they'll let you speak grace to their heart and they'll, they'll be willing to receive change from the outside in, from the gospel. And maybe that's true of you and me too, that the importance of loving yourself as the sinner. And I'm not... This, over the course of a Christian life, if you've been a believer for decades and there's no evidence out externally that shows up that you're a believer, that may be a bad sign um, for sure. And uh, But we don't, you know, work on your performance. We work on making sure you're actually saved. But uh, my testimony on basically this, this is, I've been a believer for 43 years. Um, without a question, the most impactful event that's ever happened in my Christian walk was when I was on a crucible weekend, two and a half years ago. And I talked to Dave about this. I said, if, if I have something that fits with the message, I'm just gonna say it. So the, the, the one time and the most profound way possible, in fact, my number one, it, it's a men's weekend. They have them for women now too. There's actually gonna be one not too far, a couple of hours from here in January. But at that weekend, the number one thing that I walked away with was I was able to love John Toner the sinner. I could look at the mirror and say even in your sinful state I love you I accept you, I approve you, God does too now let's work on how having his grace change you and um, sometimes that's what it takes is a <laughs> Mack truck driving through your heart sometimes a big you know, event that kind of lurches you forward and sometimes it's just his spirit working on you softly and gently over time, probably a little bit of both but actually as a result of that weekend, um, I do not care for the phrase walking in victory. If that works for you, if that has been beneficial to your life, then don't listen to the next 30 seconds. I don't care for that phrase because to me, it, it from my heart that drags me into a works thing to where when I am walking in victory then I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And whether or not I say anything out loud, it's like, you know, I'm doing okay. And it's about me, not him. I prefer surrender to God's grace. Surrender to his love. Surrender to his victory. I'm not going to walk in. I'm going to surrender to it. Or just escape. I love the, just the phrase escape. Escape the pull of sin. Escape of all kinds. Omission, commission, the whole thing. So that's, that is me. So Here's the action point, right? So you're always supposed to have an action point at the end of a message, right? This has got to be decent. In fact, actually, let's stand up because I think they're going to start singing again. So they're going to ask you to stand up in a second. If not, then they'll tell you to sit down, right? But um, so there are these things that we do as Christians. We engage in Bible reading, memorization, prayer, evangelism, fellowship, all great stuff. All fantastic stuff. Here's the one application point that I invite you to do. Come to Jesus every day as a sinner who needs a Savior. When you read the Bible, come to the Bible as a sinner who needs a Savior. Fellowship, prayer. So if you are willing, and if you're not, don't say it. But if you're willing, I would love to hear you say, I will come to Jesus every day as a sinner who needs a Savior. So I will lead. Let's just try that. I will come to Jesus every day as a sinner who needs a Savior. At risk of, I'm just trying to drill this home. I'm not trying to manipulate, but I am trying to drill this home. We're going to do it two more times. I will come to Jesus every day as a sinner who needs a Savior. I will come to Jesus every day as a sinner who needs a Savior. I think this stuff was actually scripturally dead on. If not, please let me know. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. I thank you for your gospel that does save us, that does change us. We have no hope without you. And we have all hope with you. Help us lower our guards to you. Help us stop pretending to ourselves, most of all, let alone anybody else, that we have it together. And help me come to you every day as a sinner who needs and has a perfect Savior. Amen.